Welcome to the Dick and Ham Show. This week, the Dick and Ham Show is sponsored by Snake Gun 2 and by Honest Andy's Amazon Internet Services. If you can find a better cloud operator, you choose them. That's what Honest Andy says. That's the Honest Andy guarantee. <laughs> How far should we go with that? I know, I know, he's a little twitchy about the relationship with Bezos. I don't know if we should go any further or not. Uh, I think knowing our history over the last 35 years, I reckon we can really run that into the ground. What do you reckon? <laughs> well, if you base it on what he said about What do you think, Africa? Boots? Tell us about your nickname. <laughs> <laughs> nickname? Oh, yeah, that. I thought you meant Boots had a secret nickname for Andrew, which he was about to reveal, which would have been exciting. But uh, now I understand. I was just a little slow. Well, bastard bought a pair of shoes once. In fact, his dad bought him a pair of shoes in about 1992. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, back before any of us were buying our own shoes. <laughs> That's it. That's all he did. It's a classic kid move to give a kid shit for something that they also do. It's like, your dad bought your shoes for you. And then he's like, yeah, but your dad buys your shoes too. He's like, doesn't matter. You're, you're shit. <laughs> Even though we did the exact same thing. It's yeah. shit when you do it, not when I do it. Yeah. yeah. Boots. Look, there are worse nicknames that could stick with you. It's It's... It's a conversation starter. It's uh, it's unique. It's, it's it's I mean it's a brand to to an extent. Yes, though it's been interesting in that I've come across people in business that know me in from business. that circle. <laughs> <laughs> in business, a guy that uh, Dave and I played football with in the in the under nineteens, um, who I've come across uh, since. And that on, on a on a on a conference call referred to me by as boots, which caused <laughs> right. a lot of consternation on a on a twenty five person conference call. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I guess it was just confusing. It, it could be worse. Someone I know who I won't name was on a a mergers and acquisitions conference call early in his career, uh, a, a link up with some people in the states that they were trying to do business with, and he made the critical mistake of thinking that he had exited the call. And then say, and then saying to his colleague, "Oh Jesus Christ! I hope we get this done. You know, we're we're just going to get our pants pulled down on this. We've got nothing, and I really hope that this works because we're <laughs> shit." And who's still on the call? The other people were just listening and taking notes while all this happened. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's a that's that's a career ruiner. Yeah, he survived it, but it was not it was not good. Um, I had one myself where a colleague we were negotiating with a really difficult company that end up becoming partners but it was it was a 12-month negotiation to do this deal in the in the tv business and um he came in a little underprepared which i'm always nervous about and he was a little bit cocky considering these were some pretty formidable people we were negotiating with and he shared his screen to do a presentation or something and then he closed the presentation and like the next file that was there was just his notes which again gave away everything about the fact that we didn't have this, we didn't have that, and we we had nothing. Or was it, it was, it was also, it was like a chat window talking about how this was shit, it was going nowhere. And that meeting went so Remember, badly. Don't say we're broke. Don't say we're broke. <laughs> <laughs> that meeting went so badly. I'm not kidding. That these people had come from the Netherlands to Oslo to do this, and in the spirit of being cordial and trying to start a new relationship, that we'd organised a dinner. And the meeting went so badly that halfway through, one of them just looked at us and said, hey, that dinner's not going to, that's not happening. We're officially withdrawn from the dinner. <laughs> During the meeting, they stated that the dinner was off. Yeah. We, we'd rather dine in-house in a, in a Norwegian hotel, which in my experience is not the way to fucking go. No, it's um, not, but they were, they were like, that doesn't matter. We don't have a plan, B, but we don't care. We just don't want to eat with you people. Yeah. Could have been a tactical. $15 hot dog off the street. That's what I did when I was in Oslo. <laughs> Uh, times have changed. They're, they're 17 now. They've gone up less than other things. No, Oslo is one of those places that if you, if you get caught out, you really get caught out. But if you have someone helping you, then you can avoid something. There's a lot of tourist traps. So yeah, you can, you can get stung pretty bad. I think Latham paid about 80 bucks for a tray of sushi but like at, at a train station, like train station sushi, not, not proper sushi. <laughs> so, free salmonella sushi. Yeah, Sam, Sam and I caught uh, a bus taxi home down the mountain from your wedding at five o'clock in the morning and split the cab four ways between Jane and him and Michelle and I. And it was hundreds of dollars each. Like, it was just so much money. Let, let <laughs> so me tell much you about money. The, next, the, 
the next bus that left after that ranch. Oh, we were on the, <laughs> that, I thought I was on the last one. Or maybe not. No, no. Cammy, Simon Wood, me, and uh, like two or three other people who all got off. The, and Cammy and I were the last two to get out off. Uh-oh. Cammy obviously had kind of seen what had developed as the earlier exits on the way down the mountain. And then and then we got stung with a bill that was 1600 Australian dollars. Mm, mm, that's outrageous. It was so right. expensive. But that, they only they only were there. I had no idea it was that expensive. And I, I feel I still feel bad. It was eight years ago, but I, I feel bad now <laughs> knowing that it was that much. But that only happened because there was supposed to be one bus that we chartered and they just didn't come. They didn't show. And we just rang them like, so, you know, you guys are coming. He's like, yeah, no, nah, you didn't get the, didn't get the call. I was like, no, we didn't get a call. So, yeah, no, no, we're definitely not coming. It's like it's three, it's three o'clock and, you know, we can't, we can't keep Lawrence up on this mountain much longer. We've got to, we've got to do something with him. We've got to do something with all these other people. Yeah, there was, it was certainly a mystical quality to him in the, at three o'clock when it was still light. We're in the middle of a cloud and he, he was, uh, you know, his size is, under, is undeniable. The, the Norwegians did not know what to do with, with his, his giant frame. Now, we, we didn't speak about that again. There are a few things. I mean, at, at any good wedding, there's going to be a couple of things that you don't just never speak about again. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that, was, uh, that was one of those. What, so, like the vows? <laughs> i guess i mean have you guys said your vows to each other since you got married i'm guessing not hey if michelle insists on never listening to this podcast i'm saying whatever the fuck i want <laughs> has she got a policy has she got a blanket policy on never listening she she i think she kind of wants to support but equally knows that it's going to be absolute rubbish and she's just like i just i can't listen to you guys like she she refuses it's not a great that's, type of support. That, that's, that's been a pretty, pretty <laughs> no, theme that she's had for a long time. She's like, I'm not engaging with you guys and your bullshit. Whenever you talk to Sam, you always wind up fucking talking like Sam for the next six weeks. I'm sick of it. That was feedback from our, our, our friend, Chris Bacon. He was like, it's good. I like it. It's really good. But you all talk the same and you all think the same. He said, it's like a hive mind. <laughs> Basically, he's trying to draw a line between that and people who vote for Trump in that they're just all in their own echo chamber of, uh, of information and ideas. So do we want to... I, look, last week we had a mailbag and it got away from us a little bit. I think it's fair to say. It, it definitely got away from us. But, mm, it grew legs. But the mail keeps coming in. So do we dare go back and have a look mm, into the, into the abyss of, of email? I think the as long as you guys are going to, as long as you guys are going to treat the writers with a little bit of respect, then it should be Ooh. fine. We should, we should do that. I think we we, le- we learned a little last week uh, on that, so I think we, we should do that. Look, this first one though, I, I think this first one is potentially written with the intent of being a, a wind up. It's written by Trent Big, Trent Stewart, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who's written a couple of positive things about the show, which we appreciate. Thank you, Trent. Firstly, uh, the subject humble brag. Uh, and it goes like this. Firstly, I am an avid listener and I apologize for being an episode behind. No problem. You can always catch up. I was very interested to hear more of the humble bragging from one of your hosts in relation to the facts that he works at 101 Collins Street. There's an accusation Ooh. that the, the, the that, dropping well, of the, I, the building number was, a, was some sort of humble brag. I can understand that Trent would believe that working in an office is a humble brag, but that's, <laughs> I don't think there's a, a need for us to go into that. Well, so that was, that was a, an incendiary start. And then it goes on to even more incendiary and even more niche territory where he says, I would also be interested to hear the Essendon supporting hosts' thoughts on bell chambers and the ruck position at Essendon. Sincerely, Oh, that's big. a wind-up. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's a deliberate wind-up. I don't understand um, the significance and I don't, know if we, I don't know if I want to go there. Is it, is it a place we want to go? It, 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 it's, a, it's a bit niche, but suffice to say I, I have somewhat different views to perhaps some of the other Essendon supporting members of our group. Oh, we've got different views, Boots. Oh, yeah. (laughs) On many Um, things. Well, look, look, just let's differentiate the views. Let's call call one set of views educated and and then the other set of views. Um, The the educated view is that Andrew Phillips can't play football. Uh, He played one good game where he ran, ran his guts out just trying to cover Grundy and then the rest of the time has been incompetent and that's been borne out and that he hasn't played since then and there is a a viewpoint that he's in some way 
superior to Bill Chambers as a ruckman, who is not a, not a great ruckman, but who is better than the uh, alternative. Okay, that's that's is, well articulated. Is, I don't think either of those guys are going to be playing much more. Well, yeah. I, I, one thing I would say about that, I, I don't have a, a horse in that game at all. I know a little bit about Bill Chambers. I know nothing about the other guy. Um, and I'm actually not watching much football this year anyway. Well, with- when you're when you're a backup ruckman at Carlton who gets let go and can't get a game when Cruiser can play three games a year, I think that tells you all, all you need to know. Yeah, that that doesn't that doesn't read like great form. But what I do no. think is uh, one thing I like about the ruck position is it's it's the only unique position left. Almost, I mean, there are obviously still degrees within football, and, and there are people who are defensive specialists. And, but to a large extent, the positions are becoming more and more converged and you're just a running large midfielder. So the rock is like the last really hyper-specialized position. And what I, what I love is that it's the position that spawned the greatest number of people who just randomly got a game in the grand final. And like a guy's won a premiership <laughs> and he played four games. It's almost always a ruckman. Like that guy from Adelaide, Hawthorne had one in 08. There's a guy called Brent Renouf who'd played, I reckon he'd only played half a dozen games. And there was another equally, sort of B-grade Ruckman called Simon Taylor, who just played himself out of the team. And this guy came in, played in the premiership. And then, I mean, he went to Port Adelaide and he was on the list, but he, he would have played less than less than 50 games in his career. It's it's like the, the one space where you still seemingly have a hope of just randomly getting picked up for it's a big game like that. It seems to happen. It's a, fasc- it's a fascinating position too. Just, I mean, it feels like, you know, some of the very best players in the entire league are Ruckman. Um, and it very much feels like almost like a, a feast or famine position. Like, you know, if you've got one of those top guys, it's a massive advantage. But, you know, those without, like you've either got absolutely nothing at the position, like arguably Essendon has for you know, at times this year, or, you know, like even the middling guys, just it's, it's like they, they, they don't really kind of add much value for you, like a, like a Bell Chambers kind of has been as well. It's, um, it's just interesting to see. I mean, you know, I would love to have, you know, a Grundy or a Nat Newey or someone like that. Um, you know, like it's just such a difference maker, but there's just so few of them. It's a, it's, it's fascinating, and I think part of that, Dave, is is kind of what you're saying. It's um one of the one of the last you know positions left in the game, I suppose. So that was Big Trent. So thank you for writing in Big Trent, uh, and for the for the gentle gentle wind up and the uh, the bait, which was only half half took. David, our Asian correspondent, in that he lives in Asia. He's a Caucasian man in Asia, so he's not an Asian person who's a correspondent. He's a person in Asia who's a correspondent. I think they probably picked that up because his name is David Valley. Yeah, there, there's plenty of people in in China called David Valley. Actually, well, that... not not not, okay. not 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 legitimately. I believe that's uh, only. You know, there actually might be because the the great thing about Chinese naming is that you, if you are going to have a career or a life that intersects with the West, you choose a Western name yourself, mm, like Florence. Um, yeah, you, you choose your own name because your, your Chinese name doesn't kind of cut across into other cultures. So it's not someone else that chooses it. You choose it and you usually do it when you're sort of a teenager. So there were some, there's just some good choices. Like when I worked at, at a Chinese company with, with 95% Chinese colleagues, there was a guy who called himself Bruce Lee. Like his first name was Bruce Lee. <laughs> Another guy called himself Giant because he was really tall and it was just like seemed like the right thing to do. Uh, and one of the guys I work with the most, his name was Lion, like as in the animal, L-I-O-N. That was what he called himself. And that was that was for real, his his name. And um, there's some good ones. A lot of Kevins, a lot of Davids. So they, could, they actually could be, like, let's say David Viley got famous. There would be people naming themselves after him. So like, my name is is David Viley Linbing. That's my name. They're, I've already, uh, I've already uh, named one of my children and three of my dogs and cats after David Viley. So like, that's that's just a thing. Well, we'll keep an, yeah. keep an eye on it, on the statistics out of the uh, Chinese Bureau to see if there are any violence being named. But no, he's uh, a Melbourne lad who's living over there and working. And his email to us goes as follows. What's the subject line? Always important. No, it doesn't have one. Loving the work, lads. It's a very popular podcast here in Hong Kong for the discerning listener. Thanks. Thanks, David. Uh, Rumours abound is also used to torture political prisoners who've criticised the motherland. Okay. Um, not going to go near that. few questions. A, he's, he's really neatly formatted this. A, drinks. I am a massive fan of creamy soda. Or is it cream soda? What is the official color? Is it supposed to be brown or red? In Asia, Asia slash Hong Kong, it is cream soda and it is green. But I distinctly remember what? it being red or brown in Australia. Comments, please. How and I actually think there's that? a difference between creamy soda, which I believe was brown, and creaming soda, which I believe was red. 
I mean, there were brown and red, but it was the naming thing that connected to the colour. I it, thought it so, was. but I might be wrong. I, I, I only know this. I'm not a fan of Premium Soda, but uh, uh, my lovely partner is from Queensland where Creamy Soda is a, is a thing, a big thing. And uh, yes, she's familiar with the difference and has a preference. And so red is creaming soda and brown is creamy yeah, soda. Creamy soda, yes. But the product, I, I think that there is a slightly different taste, but it's not by much. It's, it's basically the same product. So I'm guessing yeah, it's I, just I, like a... I kind of always thought it was the same thing, but you know, I, I, I don't know if it necessarily tastes any differently. I think the brown is the superior of the two. If I had to choose, I would, I would definitely choose the brown. Mm -hmm. as, as for describing the flavor, I don't know how you can. It's, it's one of those flavors that's just been discovered and applied. To, it's a flavor of its own, I guess, is, is the way you would describe it. But it's funny how every market has discovered it and it's just packaged up differently. Like in Norway, they have it and it's very popular, but it's associated with Christmas. It's called Julebrus, which means Christmas, Christmas soda. And it, and it like right? it's it's oh not available during the rest of the year, and it just suddenly arrives in like such a such a November. beautiful romantic language. <laughs> Christmas soda, but um, they also have Christmas beer, and like there's there's a lot of thematic food releases, which uh, I don't know, just it just it's a thing. But I guess it's it's a bit like hot cross buns or um, something that just suddenly appears, you know, connected to a time of year. So now I'm a massive fan too, David. It, it is a quality drink. Not sure about the health benefits. I, I guess if there was a light version of creamy soda, I'd probably be more interested in that because my sugar intake is already pretty high. Um, and I assume creamy soda is just 7,000% sugar based on the oh, taste. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I reckon, I reckon you, you put that thing anywhere near your teeth after you pass the age of like 15 and they just rot, rot right there in your mouth. It's, they're gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe that could be your experiment, David. Tell us uh, if, if, if next time a child loses a tooth in your household, put it in creamy soda overnight. Remember the urban legend that Coca-Cola would dissolve a yeah. tooth if you left it in there? Or was it Tab? Does Tab still exist? I don't think it does. I don't think Tab still exists. I'm, I'm pretty blown away by green cream, cream soda in, um, in Hong Kong. I know. Hugh, you're the first person in our group to ever visit Japan, I believe. And so based on Japan, I believe green creamy soda because there's, there's just so many insane soft drinks in those vending machines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most of which, many mm -hmm. of which are melon flavored like watermelon flavored. There are a lot of good, I, I tried yeah, to drink yeah, all of them when I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't really get to the, to, to many of the soft drinks. I was either going for any variety of, you know, boss coffee or yes. underpants. Did you see an underpants vending machine? I didn't see it. I, I no, obviously no. we've all heard about it. I didn't, I didn't see it. No, no, I, I didn't. My brother, when he was there, he was, he was determined to, to, to seek one out and he did. It was at the back of like a, a pretty dodgy looking shop in a dodgy part of town and, and he, found a, he found an underpants vending machine. I don't think he bought anything though. Horrific. I think. That is just horrific. Uh, the, the, my, one of my favorite things that I wasn't expecting was one of those amusement, amusement arcades. They still have arcades in Japan. Oh, yeah. But they, do you remember the game? They play these games that are just with the balls. Yeah. With the balls. It yes. does not make any sense. And the, yeah. the noise it's, that comes out of this, this yeah. room and like, it was called game panic. And it had like a lot of ex <laughs> the only English words on it were game panic. And it yeah. actually did make you panic just going near it because of the noise and yeah. the light coming out of it is like enough to make yeah, you for, for, for people who don't know, like it's, it's, it's like, you know, a big kind of arcade hall and they're everywhere. And I have no idea what the game's called. Um, someone I think it's called Pachinko. I think it's called Pachinko think, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And it is, it is the noisiest bloody thing you, you can imagine. It's just like there's, you, you go into an into a arcade hall and there's probably, what, like 50 of these machines, kind of in these Pachinko machines, and all of them are plastic they're made of plastic and metal and there's there is large kind of marble sized, presumably quite heavy metal balls that just kind of fall down through it to do something. It's some kind of gambling game, by the way, like it's it not, is, yeah. Know, yeah. Um, and just, and so like, it, it, like one of these machines would just make this, this massive buddy noise that would make your ears bleed, let alone like, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of them all with, you know, like the bloody pink neon lights going off and everything else. It is just the most, overwhelming sensory experience you can you can imagine so it, there you it, go it is, it is a lot a lot to take in but has more on soft drinks which is mm -hmm. a, a rich topic mm -hmm. for him and, and for us question b he's you know he's, he bullet pointed these out whatever happened to the drink mellow yellow did the solo man have anything to do with his disappearance 
<laughs> or was it Lyft? Well, Lyft, Lyft was not a great drink. We all, we all thought it might be something and it just wasn't, wasn't much. Was Mellow Yellow a, a lemon flavored drink? Or was yeah? There... You don't remember it? It was. It was. It was. The, it was the Coca Cola. It, it? it was the Coca Cola lemon drink. So and it wasn't a bad drink. In, in the in the, the Coca Cola stable, it had mellow yellow, and it rebranded as Lyft with a different flavour. With a different. It, um, it was definitely a different flavour. My memory of mellow yellow is that it had a different can. It was one of the ones that had the two circular you know, buttons on the top. You know, you can't get Lyft in the US. Oh, okay. Why not? It's just they don't they don't have a yellow drink okay. they have lemonade so you have sprite that's their lemon okay i remember yeah, the first time i ate i drank uh seven up like the american seven up it sort of was a bit more lemony so i guess that makes sense there's yeah. not not a lot of room in there mm. but yeah, mellow yellow had that can that instead of having a, a ring pull type device or a ring that pushed the thing down into the bottle it had two buttons on the top circular buttons and you kind of that. pushed them in and one of them was where the drink came out. The other one was where the air came in. Do you remember that, Boots? The double button thing on the top? I, I'm not, not familiar. I remember that clearly. My grandmother had it at her and grandfather had it at their house. Maybe they had like old stock or something. And that, that was why I saw it. But it was uh, so question to Vali uh, in, in return. Be it, was he referring to the double, the double hole top can or not? But just to answer that question, I think, you know, like the um, solo man is, is fine in this regard. I don't, I don't think he knocked off yellow, mellow yellow. I think, I think lift is lift is the culprit. Yeah. Solo uh, con- causes controversy here where I live as well, because they have their own solo, which is a different, they, they have a solo that's orange and they're very proud of it. They're yeah, obviously very proud uh, people when it comes to their national products and Norwegians. They're very attached to orange solo. And so if you dare suggest that there's another solo, which may indeed be the original or the authentic solo, then it, it causes real, cause a real issue around here. You're pissing into the wind on that one over there, Dave. You're never going to win that I, argument. Well, and I'm not because, uh, because their solo has been around for like 50 years longer. So it's a really tough <laughs> argument to win. I, I looked it up and then that's why I stopped, stopped the argument because uh, theirs was first. A final like, point can, from Bali. Can, sorry, can, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, can anyone explain to me like the marketing strategy behind Solo and it being kind of like the active guy's sugary soft drink of choice? Like, you know, I remember all, all those ads, like the, the dude with the, with the bowl haircut and the fucking moustache, like canoeing down a waterfall and shit. And then like getting to the bottom of it and just like drinking a Solo and letting all that sugary, just, you know, Solo crap, just like come down the side yeah. of his mouth. What's this got to do with, with you know, well-being and fitness? Well, I can tell <laughs> the, you the ranch. It was light no. on fizz, so you could slam it down yes, fast. Yes, and we all remember that. Fast. So first, firstly, very good slogan, because everyone remembers the slogan. What I would say without getting too theoretical is that when you are advertising a product or promoting a product, you have two choices. You either appeal on a rational level or on an emotional level. And if you have a product that is reasonably hard to differentiate, I mean, they arguably did have a point of differentiation, which was the light on the fizz thing, which turns out, was a real thing when we were um, in grade six we bought a whole bunch of soft drinks for to sell at some thing at the school and they weren't cold and one of the teachers said you know the only way to fix this problem we were like no we don't we've got 400 cans of drink and no fridge so throw them all in the pool because the pool water is 16 degrees and it'll cool it down at least enough chucked all the cans of drink into the pool and the solo sunk to the bottom get out (laughs) no i'm not kidding it really happened Someone had to go down and get it. All the other stuff floated because it had enough carbonation inside the can. The solo all sank to the bottom. It was the only one that sank to the bottom. So it'll sink down fast. And it did sink down. So no, but you, you're appealing. You're, you're kind of you're doing something that's trying to create, arguably, an aspirational, emotional appeal. You want to be like that guy, and it's you know if you drink this, you're going to be like that guy. Is basically what they're what they're doing. And look, advertising was perhaps a little less sophisticated back then. But it, I, it worked. I mean, that was a staple product for a lot of people. And good, memorable songs too. You gotta work it hard to be a solo man. <laughs> remember that. Uh, everyone, we got to take the lead and make the others follow. I, I remember there was a there was a there was an X-rated version of that song called Stiffy Man, which I'm, I'm sure we all remember. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? I've not heard of Stiffy Man. Uh, ask Tolkien's. He'll know it for sure. Oh, this last one, another wind up. There's there's. <laughs> A lot of wind-ups this week. What would it take for Boots to rejoin the Essendon WhatsApp chat? Oh, no. No. No, not at well, 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 it I'm would happy. take one of us letting him in, and that's not going to happen. 
Given it, it, it was my chat that I set up and I left it, <laughs> I believe. Hang I on, which one? You've started. You've started and <laughs> left at least three that I can count. That's yeah. I I, I have a there's a, a level of uneducated negativity that I can accept, and then there's a level I can't, and that's uh, that's where we end up. You founded it, so you're basically like a John McAfee of that chat who started McAfee <laughs> virus scanning and then was thrown out because yeah. he was a maniac. The clear line of sight there. That is just. That's a perfect well, analogy, I, but I, I wasn't in the Caribbean starting a cult snorting coke. So there is a couple of differences between myself and John McAfee. Didn't but, he bury himself yeah. in the sand to avoid capture at some point? And he was sort of live tweeting it as he did it. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, it was really yeah. out there. There was, yeah, there was some point he was in Nicaragua, actually, like in the where where they you know, the battles around prior to the sort of eighties invasion. Now, this is, uh, this is uh, obviously after that, but in the, in the areas that were still controlled by the rebels. <laughs> and yes, he did bury himself. <laughs> it's a so. tough gig if you're the brand manager. It's like, we've got this really serious, genuine, competitive, good product it's called McAfee. It's like, oh, oh right. That guy. <laughs> that guy. No, no, not him. He's gone. Yeah, but, but that's the guy, right? It's like, no, yeah, what, well. What, why, why didn't you change the name? Name recognition. <laughs> But it's like, it's like oh, yes and no. Yeah, like he did start it and it was way before he went crazy. And yeah, it's just, it's awkward to, I, I would have potentially changed it. It's, I don't know, but it, yeah, who knows? It's, it's a really tough one. You don't want to inherit that as a marketer. That is the absolute thing you can't inherit because you never have the clout to make it change that big either. You're like, you could recommend it. So we've got to change the name. This guy's a nut and it makes us look bad. <laughs> But because you're not quite senior enough, you're not going to be able to push that through. <laughs> and the CEO is going to just think about the, the cost of it. And so you're not going to get it through. And you're just stuck with it and just watching to see this guy do something crazy and to see what it does to your sales. So anyway, that's it for Mailbag. But Hugh, yeah, in respect to our last week's writer, the captain uh, and his question that was not answered, uh, you wanted to quiz Boots and I on the sports mm-hmm. person bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, th- I think um, one of Cammy's questions was uh, favourite first footballer. And certainly my favourite, uh, the first one that I can remember was Paul Vanderhaar. Now, I was born in 1978 and I got into footy because my dad was into the Bombers. And so 1984 was kind of that first year that I can remember. So age six is kind of, you know, when I first had a favourite player and Paul Vanderhaar was that guy. So... I, I'm going to start with you, Dave, and Boots, you maybe have a think about who Dave's first favourite player might be. I'm going to, Dave, I, I don't know how you got into the Hawks because your dad went for the Demons, and I believe I'm right in saying you originally went for the Demons and then Correct. changed over the Hawks, right? Exactly yep, okay. right, yeah. So I'm, so I'm going to say your first, well, your first favourite Hawthorne player, therefore, wouldn't have been someone from as early as like 84, 85. I'm no. going to say more like 87, and I'm going to go with Gary Bacanara. That's exactly right. right. That was going to be. That was also going to be my guess. Exactly right. I can't yeah. really even explain why he just had. He was he had sort a of a merc- mercurial, a great name, mercurial player. But he, there was something about him that was a bit like relatable. He wasn't like he looked like a normal person, and there's something about that that made him see. It seemed like you could be that guy because he was. He just didn't look like a superhero, but he was really, really, really good. Yeah, great play. I, I spoke to him on the phone once, just randomly when I watched it. At, at, yeah, he, when he, uh, I worked at the Nike store and he rang up because he's buying something and, and he putting on hold for like a family member, like some jacket that they needed. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll put it on hold. What's the name? He's like, oh, I'll spell it for you. And he started saying Buccanar. I'm like, you're not Gary Buccanar. He's like, yes, yes, I am. And then, <laughs> and then I, I blew my big chance. I blew my big chance to say something cool. I was just like, I okay, cool. You well, the- blew something else for a second. <laughs> no, I blew my big chance. It wasn't as bad as when I met Richie Benno on the phone. I had to call him for something. I was oh, working man. at cricket. You know this that, story, Boots? That's a dream. <laughs> I had to call him and it, we, we were inventing the spirit of cricket award just for people who are, you know, not assholes on the field. They're going to get an award and we, we wanted to be. It's, that's a, pretty, it's a pretty, pretty limited field for that award. I, I know. Yeah, it took a lot of incentivizing just to get people to take part. And the winner uh, again is Michael Hussey. Yeah. Great guy. But just for the record, you know, you know you've heard me complain about Had to be. Michael Hussey, just a fantastic guy to work with. I dealt had with him a handful been. of times. So nice. Yeah. So I had to call Richie. Firstly, his wife, Daphne, answers it. And it's just the two of them. Oh, and, she's, and she picks up the phone, Benno and Associates. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the phone, the, the associate is just her, just the, just the one person. So I'm kind of already, that's a bit off-putting because I'm laughing at the fact that that's what they seriously call themselves. 
And I'm like, oh, it's David Stone here. Uh, you don't know me, but I need to speak to Richie about something. And I was like, oh, okay. And then you literally like that old style thing. You hear her cover the phone and say, Richie, it's you. And it's such a thing like out of the 12th man that you, you're already thinking, this is yes. so surreal. Yes. And he comes to the phone and then I, he takes a bit of time to pick it up so I can hear the rattling. And then I sort of hear, I can tell it, he, he's there. And then I just hear this, hello. And even that, I'm just like, oh, shit. And oh, I, I don't usually man. get nervous, but I, I, I blew it. And I, I said, I combined his, I basically combined his first name and his second name. And I was like, hi, Richo. <laughs> I, I called him Richo. And he was just like, he didn't, he sort of knew that I'd screwed it up, but he was a nice guy and he didn't want to make me embarrassed. He's like, okay, David, nice to meet you. And then he just went on with it. And, he, and luckily he came into the office and I was more composed and I actually apologized to him for getting his name wrong. And he was, he was super nice about it because he was a nice guy. But I know just, I'm, this being a long answer, but the, the true story of my first favorite football it wasn't Buccaneer. It was actually when I was a Melbourne fan and it was Robbie Flores, number two. Oh, yeah, okay. He yeah. was such a great footballer and they were such a bad team. So I used to go and watch Melbourne a lot with dad and with a couple of other long-suffering Melbourne families. And there was nothing else to cheer for. There was nothing else to get excited about. It wasn't going to be Brian Choco Wilson or... I don't know, Stephen O'Dwyer or a young Jim Steins who was pretty bad for the first few years of his career. Actually, it was before Jim Steins. And Robbie Flower was such a such a cool player because he was... That was back when wingmen were a different type of player, like him and Doug Hawkins, just these guys who'd run with the ball. And he was so graceful and, and skilled. And the only thing that was exciting and good about that team by the length of the straight. So he was my favourite player, my first favourite footballer. And... Uh, Boots, I'm not so sure about you. So, like, we're like kind of the same age. We got into footy the same way. I know your dad's a massive bomber, so I imagine we kind of got into footy around the same time. Yep. You know, age six, 1984. Obviously, we won the flag. I, I, I don't know. For some reason, I'm going to say Terry Danaher, but I don't feel that great. I was going to say Paul Salmon or Terry Danaher for you, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not really that confident. You, you did nail it with the second one. It was, yeah, it was right. Paul Salmon. And that happened because, so I went to my first games in 1983. I, the only, first game I can remember is the 1983 grand final, which is obviously a horrible memory and has something to do with the way that I consume football. I, I, it's one of those things where, where, where winning is a relief and losing is the, uh, is the worst thing. Um, Particularly the Hawthorne. And then, so in those first, uh, people who, who will remember that year, the first 10 rounds of, uh, 1984, Salmon had kicked 67 goals through 10 games, um, including two games where he only kicked two goals. So you can imagine what he's done in those other games and was just absolutely destroying. But was, there was no one that tall who could move. So they were just, they, and he was a permanent full forward at that point and looked like he was going to be, be anything. He was so athletic. You know, to, to, to draw a comparison with the current NBA, he's like Anthony Davis who's seven foot and was, but was six foot two in high school and so has, has guard skills. And then he, and a horrible incident at Victoria Park. I think it was the last time Essendon ever played at Victoria Park. Jeff Rains just came across his knee and uh, he had a, a knee injury. He didn't, didn't end up playing again until, until 1985. So, yeah, he, he was my, my favourite player and that was born out of that. Uh, uh, my, favorite, my first favourite player. Uh, Un- unanswerable question. How much different would the second part of his career have been with modern medicine and modern rehab? Do you think? It's a fascinating question, Dave. Yeah, uh, I think. <sighs> Look, he was, still he was always reasonably mobile was... after that. Like, like, yeah. like you know, he, like he was still able to get out on the lead and stuff. But like we, like Essendon did, just bomb it long to the square, and he was just fucking taller than everyone else, like a, a, a fair bit too. It's it's, it's not it, like it, he was he was he was immobile down there, but. I, I actually can't quite remember exactly how mobile he was before that injury. Uh, it was, it was, it, but for the for the time, right? You obviously have guys who are that mm, more yeah. guys who are that that athletic now. But it's all about if he'd been doing the same things that people have been doing now. It just that that height over two hundred centimeters back then, you just didn't play because those guys weren't coordinated. Mm. You had Harry, you had Harry Madden, and you had Salmon, and and so I think to to your question, Dave, I think he was always going to put on weight. And that was probably going to change it. So obviously when he played, you know, he made the Hawthorne team of the decade as, as the Ruckman. Or was it the team of the century? The team of the century, which I'm surprised. Like he did play good football for Hawthorne, but that was 
That was mildly generous to give him that because he didn't play that many well, tests for Hawthorne. Did, did Don Scott make that team? Because I would have thought he would have been the ruckman for Saint Cedric. Uh, um, I don't think he, he might have been on the so, bench. I think he made it as the second ruckman, but yeah, he, he would have probably been a better. Fine. I'm sure he took that really well. No, he's, he historically has. I mean, he's, he, he, as a as a story, my my dad used to play football with Don Scott. So, so Don Scott started his career in playing for Burwood East. For those of you who are familiar, that's quite a good standard Eastern District Football League. And my dad was part of a, a Ruck Rover combination with, with Don Scott, uh, Brian Wood, who would later play at, at Essendon. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. My, dad, my dad was the, uh, as the other uh, centre square uh, person. Um, so yes, the, uh, he, he, had some, he had some views on Don Scott. Complicated guy would be the nice way of saying it. Speaking of TV, I wanted to talk about one thing, which Ranch, I think you saw as well. My favourite documentary of the last week that I watched. Oh, firstly, one shout out to you, Boots. I was uh, impressed with your foreign language subtitle recommendation of the Bureau the other week. Yeah. Uh, one that I would recommend back to you is one called The Bridge. I might have spoken about it before. Is a, a Danish-Swedish production called The Bridge, and the first season of that is really, really good. But anyway, no, that was a, for the people who haven't given it a try, and if you've run out of things to watch, then it might be worth it. The, the Danish and Swedish is yeah. not as much of a barrier as you would expect. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good show. But yeah, the thing that I watched last week that, and just loved was the last thing I would, I would expect. I almost watched it just not as a joke, but just as a completely random, I'm just going to watch this. And it was a documentary, it's only 40 minutes long, called Speed Cubers, about mm-hmm. people who compete against each other to be the world's fastest at solving the Rubik's Cube. And there's an underground subculture of folks who do this as their thing. A lot of kids, it's a lot of kind of maths, maths kids, you know, you know, you know the types, um, and, and this is their thing. But the, the two things, the level of skill that they have, like mental ability they have to memorize algorithms and ways to solve it, and then, the, so their ability to do it, the fact that they can solve a Rubik's Cube in four seconds from any, any possible scenario, and they can solve it, you know, with one hand in four and a half seconds. But the, the story connected to it about the sort of the two main rivals, I won't ruin it, was surprisingly touching. And it was, it was really compelling to watch. And um, one of the main uh, guys in it is a, is a guy from Melbourne uh, who just couldn't have come across as a better guy if he tried. I was kind of expecting like the King of Kong, like a couple of sort of weird assholes yep. who, who try to fight for their little kingdom. And it was the absolute opposite of that. It's called mm. Speed Cubist. Did you watch it too, Ranch? Yeah, yeah, I, I have. I, I saw it um, a few weeks ago and it, it, is, it is just, it's wonderful. Like it's 40 minutes long. I would recommend it to literally anyone to watch. And I would be staggered if you didn't come away with a smile on your face and feeling a bit better about the world. Like it is just, you know, as you say, it's this documentary about people who solve the Rubik's cube. It doesn't really, you know, sound like something that jumps off the page, but it is just wonderful to watch really just interesting characters, fascinating kind of skill, but it's just nice. And it, it just, it feels good to watch it. The characters themselves are just delightful. You, you're kind of blown away by, by the capability these people have. And, and yeah, like one of the main guys, like, as you say, just comes off as the nicest person in the world. And he's from, you know, Melbourne and. Yeah. What a guy. Also interesting thing to have on your CV. You go into, you go into a job interview. You're like, so what else, you know, what do you do in your spare time? It's like, Oh yeah, I'm the world record holder at this thing that everyone mm-hmm knows and has tried once it's like i'm the best in the world the best there ever was interesting you made the connection to to king of kong i've heard speed cubers um described as uh the king of kong but with good people and it's yeah. very much like that. <laughs> yeah i think there was follow-up controversy on king of kong i think the guy was like like joe exotic style banned for life the the villain from king of kong i think things went really pear-shaped for him like five years afterwards i'm not surprised what was his name again billy something billy something it was yeah but uh, but the, the the nice guy who practiced in his garage he didn't get the record back some other guy then got it and became the guy so neither, neither of them from king of kong ended up being the best at yeah. it it's it's billy something and 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 the other guy gives him a, a wicked nickname what is it hang on uh, i gotta yeah. hear this quality show i assume you've seen king of kong boots no, I have not. Oh Billy my Mitchell. God, you've got Billy Mitchell. What? You have to watch King of Kong. It's amazing. 
Billy, Billy Mitchell. Uh, nickname was Silly Bitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Boots, you have to fucking watch that movie, man. It's it is amazing. amazing. Yeah, it is it's... amazing. I can't believe you haven't seen that. Yeah, it's, it, you, you almost can't believe that it's real, the stuff that happens in it. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, 10 out of 10. So that's another, it's, it's old, Hang but if you, if you haven't seen it, it's another hot tip. It's a it's a pity we don't have Andrew here because he started up a uh, a pen pal relationship with one of the with one of the people from the movie, for the King of Kong. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, That's we right. need to come back to that. I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah, like by like that. the the um the, the the bodybuilder guy who was in Playgirl, Andrew like Andrew started writing to him and they had quite the back and forth. Well, okay. Well, Andrew, I mean, he, he's he's backed himself in a corner like, because we know he keeps all the emails I wish he was that here. he's ever sent. So we know he has that correspondence because he has an archive of every email that anyone's ever sent. So I think we just need to have a live read and let's, let's, uh, let's hear about it from him himself yeah, next week. Started to try to watch the wire. I can't get into the wire. I know no, that's, I'm, that's heresy, but I can't, I just can't get into You're it. You're the same boots. I've right? tried twice. I yeah. can't do it. I've, I've tried, tried as well. I mean, we, we're obviously looking for things that we can, uh, we can watch and just can't do it. And then I'm someone who, who loves long serialized dramas. My favorite show of all time is the West wing, but I don't think it's a cultural thing. Like it's, it's not because it's, it's primarily black Baltimore drama. You know, uh, a show like Atlanta, which is, which is very black is, is a show that I love. And there's, I don't, I don't think it's that, that I just like white shows, but I just, there was something about this. I just, the first episodes, they feel really dated, like in a way that the Sopranos or something else from that era doesn't. And the cop, the cop drama, just or the sort of detective drama part of it was just like lame. I couldn't. I, I guess I need it, to get it, past it because everyone talks about how amazing the wire is, but I just couldn't get past those first few episodes. Couldn't do it. It 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 is very kind of steadily paced, I suppose. Like it's not like this, you know, hugely narratively kind of driven show that has momentum episode to episode. Like it'll kind of slowly build you know, kind of over the course of, of, a, of, a, of a season. That said, I mean, you know, I've watched, I've watched most of it, but I, I don't think I, I finished it and I'm quite kind of okay with that. And so we probably don't have a great collection of people here to necessarily defend the show. But yeah, like it's, it's, not, it's not something that has like this kind of narrative momentum kind of that, that makes you want to kind of finish one episode and then immediately start the next one. Um, but, you know, I think what, what people do tend to kind of love about it is the detail, you know, the, the attention to detail, how, how it tells the story from the perspective of whatever, like the cops as well as the whatever the drug dealers and the people kind of further up in the organisation or the people on the docks or whatever, right? Yeah. So, like, I think, I think it's, it's that kind of, you know, illustration of, you know, Baltimore or whatever it is as a, as a city and as a place. I think that's probably kind of one key thing is that coming through for you dave or are you yeah i, I think that that's well? it and and it just for some reason didn't hit me but maybe it would have <laughs> a bit more of a chance but just didn't. and i can re- I, I can respect david simon's talent i mean clearly he's an incredibly talented guy for piecing together this story and uh, even the series it, it, the seasons that were criticized where he focused on you know the, the journalists and the and the newsroom and kind of basically the, the decay of, of, of local papers and independent journalism, like you can appreciate sort of weaving a story in that way. I just, it wasn't something that I enjoyed watching and therefore didn't want to continue watching it. I mean, that was the, that was how it sort of played out. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Any, any tips from you guys, new things that, that are on your, uh, on your agenda that you've been watching? Not really. I'm still slowly making my way through dark. Oh. Does it make sense to you yet? No, it does not. Everything's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically and physically. Oh no, um, it just, it's it, no like to to quote to quote Mark Lawrence from the from the golf trip. It's so difficult. <laughs> uh, what was he saying that we, in reference to? I just golf. Like oh, just play yeah. golf. Yeah, it's, it's so tough. difficult. It's a, it's a tough, tough game. Just, a, just a, 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 I don't want to make you jealous of the fact that I can currently play golf and you can't. But Shut up. The, um, I've started to play golf because I'm getting old and becoming my, my father, I guess, or becoming, you know, my parents. So I started to play golf and I'm enjoying it a bit. The, the, you guys remember from when you were in Oslo how long it stays light. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can start, a, I mean, I usually just play nine holes of golf for, for time reasons. But you could start nine holes of golf at like eight thirty PM. Fuck. 
It's it's great. It's so good. So you can be <laughs> finished amazing. with all the stuff with the kids and then go out and play golf until like that 10 o'clock. And if it was yeah, earlier exactly. in the year, if it was like June or something, you could probably start at like, you could probably get 18 holes in if you started at 8 o'clock. That's well, it, 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 the, the flip side being, Dave, for the other nine months of the year, you can play golf between 12 and 1 and then the rest yeah. of the time. It's like... Or against a video screen. <laughs> it's mini golf only. Video golf. I did video golf once and I, I flukishly hit a good drive and hit it through the screen. It was, uh, it was awkward. It was really awkward. Because I, I said to the guys with us who worked at the centre, I was like, surely occasionally people just pierce that screen with the ball. Like you're just slamming the golf ball into this thing two meters in front. He's like, no, nah, never happens. Never happens. And we play for 20 minutes. And I'm like, well, it's a long hole. I guess I better drive it. Hit it straight through. <laughs> uh, breaking stuff. At, at the, it's, I mean, it's not as bad as what, as what Sam did, obviously at STA travel uh, with, with their equipment when he, when he broke their chair and their, and their whole, you know, their whole business was reliant on not needing to buy new chairs and he ruined their whole, their whole year in 1999. I still felt bad. Mm-hmm breaking the screen on the subject of hot takes when we were talking about hot takes seven topics ago don't know what made me think of this but boots best super bowl halftime show and we're not we're not putting you on the spot as a as a music aficionado just as a total pack because i was Um, i was thinking about the prince versus michael jackson halftime shows and how prince has come to be regarded as the best is it look they're so hard the technology that's developed between things that you're looking at in the late 80s when this first started to be a thing to the through the through the 90s and then the obviously what what we've had in the in the 2000s there's yeah different people have different different takes on i think the prince one is probably universally recognized as a a confluence of a a a musician who is universally respected and liked performing at a level in that kind of 25 minute environment that, um, that that not a lot of, a lot of other people can get to. E- equally, the 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 U2 performance in 2001 has been really praised as a as a like a really a really good performance. Like you know, obviously they're a whatever whatever we have in terms of uh, stadium bands now. So obviously that kind of made easier for them to play in that sort of environment but the the, the setup that they had for their stage that was rel- relatively simple and the um the songs they had from their recently released album at the time played played very well um and then you've got the other ones where you know a more recent vintage where beyonce just kind of has such a high approval rating that nothing she does can't um well can yes and no but you remember <laughs> you remember the turd and the punch bowl of that was the guy from Coldplay was up on stage with her yeah, and he, the, he tried to bring the sass. Match. He tried to bring the sass to match it with Beyonce. Like, in, like literally yeah. they were sort of walking out a catwalk next to each other and she's Beyonce and he's the yeah. skinny, pale British dude from Coldplay trying to be like her. It did not go well. Yes. He should not have no, signed no, on for that part of that performance. You said this. Is, I, I'm not going I, to I believe. I, I believe, that, as the kids say, he got ratioed uh, following that uh, that performance. Yeah, but, he got yeah. cancelled for that. <laughs> Just to circle back, if I, if I had to say the the best halftime performance is, I don't probably think the Goo Goo Dolls have played, have they, Boots? No, uh, no, but Springsteen has, and that's in my wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> The the there was a period of time where you really couldn't get anyone to do it. Um, you were basically on a hiding to nothing in terms of the, the criticism, certainly in the early social media era. Now, kind of since having Beyonce do it, Coldplay do it a couple of times, um, they have been able to to get some better acts. The, the NFL also has that slight problem where it's not seen in terms of being socially responsible for a. a uh, it's not seen particularly well, uh, particularly for a league that is principally African American uh, in the players. So that kind of hurts some of uh, some of the reach to, to the acts they can get uh, they can get at the moment. Well, the Prince one was uh, it, it's worth watching again. Uh, apparently, it almost didn't happen because it was pissing with rain, and there was a lot of logistical issues, and people were basically risking their lives to plug shit in in the rain. Um, to make sure the show there's, there's an interesting oral history about it's worth worth a read the, the the two super bowls i've been to like to, to actually see them 
live. Like the uh, the Shakira and J Lo performance, two performers who I don't have much affinity for, but it was actually the the, the technical feat um, of seeing it actually work as a performance mm. is quite yeah. quite amazing. Mm. The Katy Perry yeah, one was good in that sense as well. I, I really don't like her as an artist in the slightest, but her, her performance was undeniably fun because the Travis Scott guy did some really cool props and it just it was just cool. And they had those dancing sharks. The sharks, yeah. yeah. The shark. it, they made yeah. it, they, they did it for the memes and that's that's the best strategy. Yeah, like the, the um, like, Obviously, I'm a I'm a I'm an old man now, and I like metal. And the sort of acts that they've kind of got on these things are probably not right in my wheelhouse. However, the so whilst the acts themselves don't necessarily, you know, I'm not going to get that excited if it's you know Madonna or if it's Beyonce or whoever, right? What fucking does blow me away is the is is the technology that they're able to you know set up and then kind of you know roll out have them use and then take down in a, in a, in the space yeah, of 20 insane. to 25 oh, minutes. But just, but the, the, the quality yeah. is amazing. And like that, that actually almost is, you know, like more, like more interesting to me than, you know, the actual, you know, pop songs that are actually playing or whatever, because it like the, the, just the visual spectacle of seeing, I don't care who it is play just with the, with the lights and the screens and everything is just absolutely mind blowing. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, it is. And as someone who spent a brief period of his career, working as a stagehand when I moved to Oslo and couldn't get a, a normal straight job. It's even more impressive because it's, it's hard work to put that shit mm, together. Yeah. And it, it usually well, takes hours. Speaking of Madonna, I worked on a Madonna show and she was, uh, she was awful. Just so you know, she was not a nice person to us. The people were awful. Not yeah. a great surprise. No. Just, just one last thing on the, on the, the Super Bowl. I mean, the, the, the technology part of it in, so in, to the first time I went to a Super Bowl was 2013, and then they handed you a. It was the Beyond. It was the first Beyonce Super Bowl, and you basically on your seat was this light thing that you're supposed to put on your finger to to do part of to use for part of her act. In the um, uh, J Lo Shakira Super Bowl this year, which you know, even though the 49ers lost, thank fucking God I travelled overseas because I'm never going to be able to fucking do that again. The uh, the they had you gave you this wristwatch and that wristwatch was coordinated with the show to light up with different colors so the whole stadium would light up as a different colors with the show and the fact that i mean they're americans so they're relatively compliant to a to something that's going to be a spectacle that might get them on television so you know (laughs) everyone was wearing their 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 watches and so which which created that amazing effect in the stadium that's Does it still work? Do you still? I assume you still have the watch. What yeah, do you I still, do now? I still got the watch. It was triggered in the stadium. It had Bluetooth in it, so it triggered to follow the act as it was as it was going to change colour. So, so I can't actually get it to turn on now. Uh, well, now it just plays subliminal messages for you to buy NFL merchandise while you sleep. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's actually Pepsi branded, so yes. Yeah, you have a Pepsi T-shirt on, so you know yeah, the watch is doing its job. It's uh, it's like why did I, where, when did I even buy this T-shirt? But speaking of the Goo Goo Dolls and, and music that you shouldn't put people through, my long-winded segue in towards lockdown happens now and it, it goes like this. So we're not locked down, but obviously people in Melbourne are and it's, it's a logical thing to talk about. But we're also in a bit of a weird situation and we're spending more time at home than usual. I reckon pretty high on the list of things you shouldn't do when everyone's at home more than normal is what my neighbour did the other day. So we live in a little house, but there's other little houses pretty close. So you can see and hear each other quite a lot. So I'm outside and our neighbor over the back fence has his balcony door open. And I hear this little bling, 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 bling. I hear this little plinging noise. Then it turns into a strumming noise. And then I hear, I'll go wherever you will go. And he starts doing this horrific rendition of that song. I don't, I don't know who said, but that song. And then he rambled through a set of 22 cock rock classics at high, <laughs> high volume and low aptitude. He was not skilled. He was oh not a professional God. musician. You can't do that to your neighbours when everyone's living in no. close quarters, can you? You shouldn't be doing no. that. No, you can't. Like, 
through through an amplifier, right? Like like it's it's not like he was playing with a guitar that wasn't amplified or no, like no, it was no amp, head. but it just really carries. No, it was an acoustic guitar and his shitty voice, but it just oh, it just carried. Okay, right. <laughs> carry, like at least close your door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, unless it was too hot in Oslo, no, nah, not going to be that. No, it was seventeen and cloudy. It was not the hot. The heat was not the problem. Yeah, are no, your neighbours no, all right, Ranch? Or are they, uh, is there any any neighbour controversy during lockdown? Or are they they all right? Uh, no, no, we're we're fine. We we don't really have you know the ability for a neighbour problem. We're kind of fairly well spaced out from everyone. In fact, if anything, we're probably the problem because my dog is a psychopath um, and will bark at fucking everything and so like the poor lady next door um you know kind of goes spare at him uh so like yeah if anything we're we're the problem but yeah like i i as as you guys know i used to play a lot of guitar and in particular bass guitar when i was uh, a teenager and in, in in my early 20s i basically just kind of stopped playing as soon as i moved out of out of home because if you live in an apartment or like in in a unit plugging in a bass amp is actually the worst thing you can possibly do <laughs> to anybody. Can you fucking imagine that? Like the whole building would shake. Yeah. So, I knew yeah, a bass um, amp was substantial. It was not a toy amplifier. It's, either. it's sitting right here. It is like, I'm touching it. I'm, I'm patting that thing right now. Hasn't been plugged in since probably 2001. <laughs> Don't get rid of it. No, no, never will. Isn't it funny that it's like the golden era of watching series on television and no one is talking about Game of Thrones because of how shit the last two seasons were. Like had those last two seasons not happened, Game of Thrones would have this, this life that would be ongoing. And as it stands, everyone's just so glad it's gone because it was so terrible those last two seasons, yeah. which is such yeah, a shame yeah. really, because there should be people discovering that show now who would get six seasons of like the best television ever but they will never see it because they know how bad the end was. Mm. I guess I'm it's just, always I'm tough to sorry. land, but boy. It's, it's, well, it's, a bit, it's a bit like Lost, isn't it, right? Like no one would start Lost again now, knowing that how disappointed you are going to be with the ultimate conclusion. And it's similar, yeah, it, it is. But I mean, Game of Thrones was arguably... Game of Thrones was like a real cultural moment for a while. You know, there were people... You forget hmm. that before people realised the last season was shit, there were people going to bars to watch it live cheering in groups of hundreds of people like their sports team had just won the, the Super Bowl. Like, I, I, I don't think, I can't think of any other show that mobilized, a particular show that's about fantasy, which a lot of people would never say that they were into, to mobilize like a mass fan base like that and then to just completely screw it up the way that they did. Well, not, not in that way. I mean, look, there's obviously examples of, of shows that when they were, the, the, the final seasons and the final bits were on just had it was absolutely an event. Na- audience i mean that the, the you know the highest rated show of all time is still the mash for the mash yeah yeah um, i never liked uh, mash i guess we're too young it's for it, it. Uh, me neither yeah it's a, it's a different era it, it, that being said I, I, I it was constantly on our house when i was growing up because my mum's favorite show but um the so i can you know appreciate a bit of alan elder humor um but the uh i think that there are some kind of fewer of those sort of cultural touchstone things that that come around now that unite people in that way just because of how fragmented all of the entertainment options are and how you can find something that you feel is more specifically designed for you rather than something that grabs a collective consciousness yeah and it is as i said it it is very hard to land like a lot of great shows had famously bad final episodes or final run like seinfeld for example most people love that show but didn't love the way it ended one that one show that i think had a good final episode was cheers the last episode of Cheers, yep. if you watch it, is really, really good. It's low-key. It's sort of sentimental but not sappy. It gives you the things that you want for each of the characters. It ties up a couple of things but not everything. It's just good. That's right. I, I, think, it, I think it's easy, and I completely agree with that, Dave. I think that's a good example of a, a show that does have a, a, a finale that you want. But if, for a non-serialised show like Cheers, which whilst it had some ongoing themes, was effectively a 30-minute 30, 30 sitcom. Yeah. That's, that's a different it's landing than, 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 a, than a drama with an overarching story that's been going for six seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and one is complicated. Think, and, yeah. Which is why I think The Sopranos, for all the, the complaining about the, the fade to black actual ending... I love that. I, I, still, I still think that last season and, and, and that last episode, uh, you know, is, is an achievement. I mean, Breaking yeah, Bad, not, not, not my favourite by comparison to others. I enjoyed it a bit, but that, that last season was phenomenal in yeah. terms of construction of television for a long narrative. 
The yeah. Shield's another one that that you know was a yeah. was a fabulous show that just absolutely nailed the final. Yep. I'm going to watch The Shield. Is it, uh, is it something you would watch with your partner or is it something you would pursue in your own time? Oh, to be honest, it, I, I love it. It's probably, it would be my top, you know, probably five shows ever, but it, it, it might not have aged very well. In fact, I probably think it hasn't. Like it was, you know, it was super low budget shot. Like it would look really bad these days, but also it's kind of about these cops that do some pretty bad shit. It probably just mightn't be the right time to watch it maybe, but you know, like... Um, <laughs> You know, it's like I I I love the show. I thought, thought it was really a, a really compelling story with great characters, really well told. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really know how well it will have actually aged these days, to be honest. I have to try it. I do have time on my hands, so I'll uh, I'll try it. Well, thank you to Big Trent and to and to David Valley for sending in those emails. So, Dave, what's the email address if anyone wants to send in anything else? Dick and Ham Show at gmail dot com. There's a couple of uh, big fish that we're still waiting to hear from. Uh, you know, Tom. Lawrence, you know those types uh, we're really we're really hoping to see some correspondence so thank you huge thank you to hugh and to boots for dialing in it's a friday night for you so enjoy your weekends as much as you can and uh, let's hope thank you david and all and uh, continue to improve uh, as quickly as we can yeah.